these roads that are bright will be wise. This is yeah, Winning Slowly, taking the long view on technology, religion, ethics, and art, because doing good work takes time. I'm Chris Kreitcho. And I'm Stephen Caradini, and today we're talking to Dave Radford of the Grey Havens. And we could not possibly be more excited about this. We are super excited about it. It is uh, one of Chris and I's favorite bands. The Grey Havens is a duo, uh, a married duo. Dave and Licia um, are the main musicians. And they have a supporting cast of uh, many, as you will hear later on this episode. (laughs) And they have been playing folk pop for several years now and kind of expanding their sound on their most recent album, Ghost of a King, into a larger, fuller, more arranged sound. And so you'll hear more about that as well. But it's a, a Christian duo but not perhaps Christian music, and it's it's just really fascinating. Their their album's amazing, and it even has an electropop jam on it. Hi, Dave. Welcome to Winning Slowly. It's good to have you here. What's going on, guys? Thanks for having me on. Our pleasure. Thanks for coming on the show. We are both big fans of your work, and so we're really excited to have you talking with us. True story. Thanks, man. We should send you, after this is done, video of my daughter's jamming to diamonds and gold because that's basically their favorite song and my two-year-old gets on here's it coming she goes diamonds gold diamonds gold it's her favorite so oh that's awesome yeah send footage whenever you have it (laughs) yeah the first the first time i heard that song i was like oh man chris needs to hear this because his daughters will love it it's a true story Good. Yeah. So we have a bunch of just different questions, and a lot of those have to do with this big picture issues we've been thinking about in our current season, which have to do sort of with the relationships between individuals and systems, between structures and the agency we exert. And we just kind of want to throw some new angles on that from the perspective of, hey, what does this look like in the world of music? And we've talked about everything from Facebook to civil forfeiture and back again so far this season. So very broad and open. And I'll let Stephen kind of lead in with some of those questions. But where we're really trying to get at is we're all people who are sitting in this broad context of a world that pushes on us and that in our own ways we we push back on. And we see art as one of the ways that we shape the world around us, we shape culture, but also, of course, we're always making art in culture and being pushed on by it. And so that's kind of the angle a lot of the questions are coming from. And since we really like your art, we thought you might have some interesting, interesting things on that. Yeah, so... In listening to your music, uh, there's a lot of references that we can hear to a lot of different types of music, uh, which is something that we really appreciate because Chris and I are both pretty voracious music listeners. So what are some of the influences musically and lyrically that uh, were influencing you as you were writing and recording uh, Ghost of a King? Yeah, um, well, I would say just to give a broad bird's eye view of my musical upbringing. Uh, my family, probably just like most, you know, families, um, that, you know, had a, had a, uh, record player or whatever while growing <laughs> up, my, there was always music on. And so, uh-huh. uh, my mom and my dad's tastes became mine. So that was like when I was, you know, growing up, uh, a lot of the storytelling 
you know, outside of Disney movie soundtracks, obviously, but uh, out, outside of that, like storytelling <laughs> writers like Simon and Garfunkel, James Taylor, uh, Cat Stevens, you know, some of these uh, troubadours or guitar in one hand and, and kind of singing in the mic artists um, were playing all the time in my house. And so uh, it wasn't only those guys. I also listened to a lot of uh, big band stuff. So Rat Pack hmm. era, Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin. Uh-huh. And then uh, moving out of the you know 50s and 60s, I, I went through a huge queen phase. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and then s- some more stuff during college, you know, obviously Coldplay, Mumford & Sons, had some forms in the machine, Fleet Foxes, you know, more recently, you know, Boney Bear just came out with a new record. Have you guys listened to that one, the new one? Mm-mm. Not yet, but I really want to. I've I've heard nothing but good things. It's really interesting. I He does this, like, he's doing a lot of vocoder stuff, uh-huh. and I don't know how I feel about it yet. <laughs> like, I, it's fair. Sorry, I'm, I'm totally doing a tangent here, but um, I really struggle with, I just wish we just, I could hear his voice instead of the vocoder, even though it's really cool. Mm. It was like a trick. I felt like the trick became the whole album. But mm. talk, to, talk to me in a week, and I could be like, this is the most brilliant <laughs> thing that ever happened. So who knows? But um, so kind of, uh, anyway, more, more recently uh, is that, but I would say kind of all time favorites are, I think, I think might be cliche to say, but I just, I love Coldplay. Man, yeah, something about like Chris Chris Martin's writing that's like he like tricks you into thinking like he'll write like a super simple lyric or a super like ambiguous lyric, which is basically every lyric that he writes is super ambiguous. Like, <laughs> but um, he'll he'll write a song about sitting on a roof and amazing day, and it's just super simple thoughts. And you just wonder if it wasn't Chris Martin, would you would you think it was good writing? But he doesn't. <laughs> on you is because it's because it's his writing it's got to be brilliant it's like oh the simplicity you know it, but so anyway but i would say he's my favorite writer in a lot of ways so anyway that's music lyrics are just probably more books and stories and sermons you know that's where the lyrics come mm, from yeah i was curious i picked up from earlier work definitely some c.s lewis i was curious what other kinds of big novels or nonfiction or anything else have informed and shaped your music? Because like I said, I could hear lots of Lewis in earlier albums and still some even in ghost of a King, but I was just curious what other things are in that mix. What are some of the books that have shaped you the most? And obviously Tolkien because of your, your band name. So, uh, yeah. Um, hat tip. So I'll say one thing and I'll go into specific books. I think, you know, like I said, books and sermons and more kind of straightforward, I don't want to say dogma, but kind of mm-hmm. plain speech taught me what to say. And I think stories and novels, like the like the ones you just mentioned, taught me how to say it. Mm-hmm. So there's the what to say, but there's a way of saying things that get... So my aim in writing is first and foremost to kind of awaken excitement wonder joy for well just in myself first and then by extension to the listener so if i can't do that i can't find a way of saying something in a way that 
makes me excited to listen to it. Um, but not, I'm lost uh, to, to reach any kind of listener. So that just happens to be the way that I like to hear things. I, I just, I love stories. And, and, uh, and so obviously specific books, Chronicles of Narnia, Lord of the Rings, but um, there's a good book I just read. I would say I like the first book a lot better than the second one, but it's called uh, The Name of the Wind. It's mm-hmm. uh, Patrick Rothfuss. Uh, he's got a good writing style that I've liked. And, you know, I've done some The Wheel of Time series stuff. and Oh, man, have we ever. <laughs> yeah. So, have you? It doesn't, we both. <laughs> here's, here's the saddest story. I got. I made it all the way through the first book, like the huge, thick. And I got, you know, I think it was like less than 100 pages from the end. And I didn't even care to finish the story. Like, I just was so unengaged but but during the reading of the actual book i was like so excited for like all the potential that you know was the foundation that was being laid so did you guys continue on was it good yes and yes yes the (laughs) the trick with that series is that first book he's doing this i'm going to make this feel like a tolkien world so that you're comfortable because it was like 1986 when he was writing it and modern fantasy wasn't a thing and then he kind of helped invent it. And so book two doesn't feel anything like that. Book two picks up and moves from the outset. Dang it. I came up. <laughs> I was just like, I was so apathetic at the end. I was like, oh, no, it's, it's, it's not a great book. There are way better books in that series than book one. And I say it's not a great book in relation to the other books in the series. Although, much to Chris's chagrin, I will tell you that if you ever do continue reading and you get to book 10, stop, go straight to book 11, don't even bother, it's the worst (laughs) book ever written. (laughs) Okay, that's good to know. Yeah, I part of me is like, I love the idea of a series book, but part of me is like, there's... (sighs) In order to make a great series, it's like there's like it's like one in a million, you know. Like, yeah. yeah. Most books shouldn't be series. I feel like true story. Uh, so anyway, mm-hmm. um, but I'm still very kind of unsatisfied with my quote unquote go to list of novels. Like, I just feel like maybe I'm just snobby. I just I feel like I'm just not looking in the right places. You're in good company. We're both snobs. <laughs> That's fantastic. So what I'm interested in then is that's a whole lot of influences and references that are not explicitly Christian, and yet the things that come out of the Grey Havens are pretty explicitly, sometimes implicitly, Christian. So how do you handle that kind of tension, particularly being in Christian music or not in Christian music? How do you think about the Grey Havens in relation to that? Yeah, that's a really good question. I've spent a lot of time thinking about it, and I don't know if I don't know if my answer today is like a really confident. <laughs> here's my here's my flag in the ground kind of thing. Oh, we're, we're glad to hear that. Yeah, yeah. But um, so I think that um, well, how to say it? Like, I think that everybody. First and foremost, I think that everybody is super religious. Whether or not you profess a specific type of faith, I think everybody is a faith person. So questions like, how do we get here? What's the most important thing to do while we're here? What happens after we die? 
everybody has certain frameworks for those questions that they're believing in by faith at this moment, whether or not that's a Christian worldview or not. So, so, so th- from our frameworks, our worldviews, you could call it, you know, out of those things are going to come ideas, expressions that we take by faith or from what I believe is, is true. So if you think that pleasure, just straight up physical pleasure is most you know important thing to do while you're in your life, uh, that's going to come out in your songs. Uh, and that's going to be reflective in the type of music that you make. And, and similarly with you know, kind of my faith, it's going to come out in, this, in, the, in, in the same way. In varying degrees, I guess, of explicit, explicitness and implicitness. But that has less to do with maybe being more... Sh- not to do with like being shy about it. Again, my goal is to kind of awaken that sense of wonder and joy for these things that I hold true. And for me, that's just not sometimes, especially in music or story, that's just not a, that's not a straight avenue approach. That's like a, mm-hmm. tell me a story, you know, mm. make it interest, make it backdoor, make it surprise and make it mysterious, make it not implicit, make it not so explicit that I don't have to guess or wonder. Uh, so that's just what I like personally. So, mm-hmm. so everybody's going to sing about things that they believe, or if they don't, then that's sad. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> write something. I think it just is going to come out like that. And and to me, the the way that it comes out is, is just the way that I like to hear it. So. No, that makes a lot of sense. And one of the things that we appreciated listening to your stuff that I know my wife and I have appreciated is that you guys are clearly coming from a perspective that, as you said, you believe these things and they shape you and you want others to share the joy and the wonder that come in that. But you're also perfectly happy to sing a song about being in love with each other and not everything doesn't have to be about Jesus in the the strict uh, sense of... This doesn't have to be a song about Jesus for who I am as a person of Christian faith to be shaping yeah. it in some way. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've, the songs that I'm writing now, so I've, I've kind of like outlined about 30 ideas. So the way, so the way I write is very seasonal, mm-hmm. uh, lyrically, but year-round musically. So because it's way easier for me, at least, to come up with a quick melody to capture in my iPhone than it is to kind of, I need about like two hours of runway, like total quote unquote waste of time. Like, in other words, like I can't get anywhere writing unless I've probably been in the room for two hours. So if, unless I can't, it takes two hours to get into flow state. I have to spend that two hours before I can get anywhere. But with, with music, it's, it's much quicker. So, so I have, um, gone through my voice memos and, and narrowed it down to like 30 ideas that I kind of like. And, but the, the lyrics that I'm coming to for this new record are, are much more implicit or not even, 
you know, t- touching those subjects of, of the gospel uh, as much maybe as in the past. That could totally change, but I like that we're able to do that. And we don't feel like this constriction just to this one uh, category of, of song. Yeah. So that brings up another thing we're interested in, which is uh, we talk about business pretty frequently on Winning Slowly, uh, sometimes more than Chris would like, but that's what I'm interested in. (laughs) And so we're interested in this idea of marketing. How do you guys market yourselves knowing that there are these niches and boxes that people can put you in? And do you like go over there and say, okay, we're in this box? Or do you kind of resist that? Or how do you navigate some of those tensions that people want to put on you? Um, that's a good question, too. I don't know. I, so just to be transparent, as helpful as I can be to maybe anybody listening, like that's a really hard thing to do if you're anything but independent. Yeah. Like, so if you're a, a label artist, like those decisions are kind of made for you. Maybe you have some control, but, uh, but for an independent artist, we're kind of walking a little bit of a tightrope. Uh, as far as marketing, like I think that most of our audience uh, or most of our listeners, you know, are Christians, but uh, maybe Christian listeners that are a little bit over the status quo of of what a quote unquote Christian music station would would play, or you know what I mean. Some some yeah. people looking for alternatives. I think I think that's a really growing demographic. Um, mm-hmm. So we've hired you know a, a publicist on our last two records who we love and did a phenomenal job, but his relationships were in Christian media. That doesn't mean that we won't do something different in the future. Um, I just, I don't know in the future. I mean, it'd be awesome to to do things like the tiny desk stuff and the the late shows and, and all those things. I just don't, I don't know. Uh, do you have any like more like specific how to's, uh, Maybe I ventured off into somewhere you, did, you didn't want me to go, but no, no, that's, that's good stuff. That's what we're we're interested in. There, there are questions that don't have answers that we're asking people. <laughs> so you you've stepped into it here. You didn't even know. Yeah, well, one of the things we know is hard in the music industry generally, and then maybe specifically in kind of the world of contemporary Christian music is you have you have sales pressures, you have pressures of marketing, etc. And it's a lot easier if you can say, "Well, we're the." cold play of CCM in some ways to just find it, find a market and go rather than trying to actually do the work, which from what we see you guys are doing and we appreciate, but do the work of establishing your own musical identity and your own identity in terms of what you're doing as a band, what you're producing, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But of course that comes with market tensions and pressures. And I mean, we get that there's no, there's no easy cut and dried. Here's how you fix that problem. <laughs> I think that the best thing to do if you want to beat that is get really good at booking. Honestly, Mm. that's the biggest piece of advice I could give to any musician uh, who wants to be in an independent band is you have to kill it with booking because that is, if you're not going to be on the radio, that's like your bread and butter. Like it's everybody's bread and butter, but no booking agent. I'll put it this way. No booking agent is going to be a 10th as good as booking you as you are. Mm. If you are an independent artist, I think because everybody's still trying to figure out how to, how to get gigs um, mm-hmm. in the independent world. And so mm-hmm. I would just say, find somebody on, in your band or 
if it's you or if you're so act and you just have to get really good at booking yourself if you can for kind of guaranteed amounts. So, yeah. Cause then you're able to like with me is like, so we're doing this ghost of a King orchestra tour right now at these different colleges where we're coming in and bringing a band and kind of recruiting some college string players to play through our record with us. Uh-huh. And um, it's like, I'm amazed at just, and really honored because we, we get to play and recruit these high caliber musicians to be our band who are honestly better than us just from a player standpoint. Uh But we get to do that because we have gigs to offer Mm -hmm. them where if you, that gives you kind of some kind of capital to work with or. Yeah. And, And I, yeah. yeah, that's huge. Actually, one of the ways we were, one of the questions we were going to ask is, how in the world are you touring with an orchestra? How are you pulling that off? And yeah, so it was our manager had an idea to go in and play one show where we did it with strings through the whole record and make it like a big deal. And, and uh, we started brainstorming that, you know, maybe we could get college students. And that just kind of became something that I ran with. So for booking, it's me doing all the booking. And I, I think I'm, okay at it because i I think i'm just enough stubborn is the right word but i'm just like (laughs) i'm probably stubborn but very persistent and not to be an annoying sense but persistent like i just i just like the challenge of it all so but anyway the the touring of the how what do you mean how do you tour with an orchestra other than just inviting college strings to right that was a like once you said that it made sense but before the show we were going how in the world are they pulling this off i was i was imagining a 15 passenger van and a, <laughs> and a big u-haul and uh, unbelievably it's still a huge like i spent most of the day today up to this point doing the the flights and the rentals and the hotels and all that stuff so it's still like a lot of logistics yeah and that stuff i hate but um <laughs> But we're able to do it because a lot of the, or all of the strings are in-house at mm-hmm. the places we're playing. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. a huge help. But yeah, we would never be able to, you know, <laughs> 10 string players driving in a van with us. Yeah. That makes more sense. Yeah. Yeah. It does. It does. So how is it that you can balance the business and the art? This is like the ever, ever going struggle, right? How, how do you manage it and, and balance the concerns of both to create incredible art as well as you're on the road quite a bit? Yeah. Well, I think seasonally. So mm. I think if you can group intense periods of time together into certain activities, then you, you might be better off instead of, quote unquote, trying to balance. So So there's a balance, but it's not simultaneous. The balance mm-hmm. is mm. different time periods got it so and i'm still trying to figure out what works best i mean you know i really want to try to write you know the best record we can every time but really even more than usual now that so we started doing this full time uh a little over a year ago as like our main as our only job Mm -hmm. and so we've still not gotten like this quote-unquote rhythm established yet like for the first Mm. four years it's just been doing whatever we can whenever we can't say no to opportunities. So it's been kind of like, right. there's been no, we can't set our own schedule, but now that's becoming less of a, I don't know, we, we have more space to kind of carve out those times. So I, I don't really know what works best balancing that, but my plan is to keep doing the voice memo thing. And, and uh, once we get off the road here in about a month, you know, try to take some concentrated, I don't know if it's two, three weeks or a couple months just to 
to write as much as I can. Yeah. Cause like mm-hmm. I said, I had to spend two hours just to get into it. <laughs> so on a typical day, like today, when I'm, I'm juggling all these things, no way. Like, I, right. Yeah. And I have no idea how people like a John Foreman or, or these other artists, you know, can, can write as much as they do like a song a day. I've heard from some of these people. Like, I don't, I don't know. But maybe somebody else books John Foreman other than John Foreman, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think that's that's probably true. true. (laughs) He's been been doing it a little bit longer than you have, I think. Totally. Totally. Uh, So this this brings me to another kind of of question. You're talking about other bands. How do you think of yourself in relation to the music industry? So there's all these articles about the music industry is dead or the music industry is reviving. And, you know, does that have any effect on your daily life? Like this giant superstructure of like all the other people doing the same sort of thing that you are? Or does that really not have much to do with what you do or what you think about? Well, I think from a big picture, it affects us. But from the inner workings of the actual, I mean, we're we're just in the huge tide. I mean, we're right. not really affected by individual streams because we're independent necessarily. So we're so when I think about ourselves in relation to the music industry, I mean, we're kind of at the mercy of of what's normal. So, like for instance, Spotify is normal, you know, mm-hmm. to to release a record on Spotify simultaneously with releasing it for sale for say on iTunes, you almost have to do that now mm-hmm. to be competitive because you know, you're, you're putting your marketing and publicity dollars around your release. And for people that are only quote unquote Spotify listeners, if it's, if they're reading something about your new record on something that you've paid to promote and they're a Spotify user only, and it's only available on iTunes, well, you've lost that listener They're you know, right. so and I've also heard that iTunes is going away completely in a couple of years. They're going to stri- switch over to streaming completely. So they've, it's no longer going to be, I think, profitable for iTunes to continue. You don't want to get into a conversation about Apple with us. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to do that, but this interview would be over. I would just rant at you. Stephen has strong feelings about the iPod. We'll leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> but... I think there's great people in, in this industry and there's not great people in the industry. Yeah. It's just, it's just hard to pigeonhole anyone like Christian music or Christian radio. Like it'd be easy to paint them all the same color, but really I've just met some amazing people in that industry. Even if I don't agree with a lot of the direction that industry in and of itself as a whole is heading, mm. I, they're not all crooks and sleep. <laughs> like I've never yeah. met one of those guys and walked away and been like, man, that guy's just, it's just like a, toxic person or just in it for all these wrong reasons i don't it's not like that but no it's it's definitely uh, an interesting interplay between individuals definitely make up the whole but the whole is definitely pushing back on the individual in in different ways and so that's kind of been what we've been exploring for this whole season is the ways that those two things kind of interact and you know how much ability do the gray havens have to change the music industry. How much ability does the music industry have to change the Grey Havens? Those sorts of questions. Well, I think for us, it's. I thought about a while, you know, if I were to go into the industry, you know, you would basically need somebody with like a few hundred million dollars, you know, to kind of partner with, like start up a new 
company. And I don't even know if I would want to do that. I, I don't know if my heart's in it to quote unquote change the, the industry. I think I'd probably just get really jaded, but I, uh, <laughs> I think the best thing to do is, is just to make great art mm-hmm. as best art you can and leave your opportunities and the, and the rest. Um, we just kind of, we pray about it and, and ask God's favor and, and make, make the best art we can. Yeah. Yeah. And oftentimes in our reflections this season, that's kind of where we land is you, you make the decisions you can, and sometimes you can change things. Sometimes it's not even your job to change things. It's just your job to be faithful where you are and see what happens there. And one of the things that's interesting with art is it seems to me, at least a lot of times the kinds of changes that art produces are not when you're trying to produce change with art. Yeah, There's some of that, but a lot of times it's just, you make a great piece of art and it changes the way people see the world. But it was because you were focused on, as you said, from the outset, making something that stirs up wonder and joy or amazement or those things. And that's where change comes. It pulls us out of ourselves and it pushes us into a new way of looking at things, but not by, as you said at the beginning as well, you know, let me read you a sermon in the form of some lyrics. Yeah. I I think creation by committee for the purposes of something else other than just the art is, Mm -hmm. is the death of creativity. We're not, we're not going to take into account that we are a committee here making a podcast. (laughs) But we're not creating necessarily a song together. You know what I mean? That's that's true. That's true. Yeah. Speaking of creativity, one of the one of the other things we were just kind of curious on is process of writing Ghost of a King and how that differed from writing Fire and Stone. And and then with that, some of the pretty substantial musical moves you guys made. Fire and Stone was much more kind of pulled back and purely acoustic. And Diamonds and Gold is lots of things, but not that. And (laughs) so you guys made some big moves. You jumped from an EP to an album, and you moved from much more acoustic in some spots to here's some electronic, let's go. Yeah, I think, um, so a couple of things were different. The writing process and time was a little bit different. Like with Fire and Stone, you know, we brought every song we had and we recorded every single song we had on Fire and Stone, you know, and, and mm-hmm. we did it for weeks. And, you know, we love the producer. Mitch Jane produced it and, it, you know, sounded, sounded, the sounds were great. Um, I think with this record, we wanted to take our time a little bit more. And, um, and so I had, you know, I started more songs. I don't want to say I finished more songs, but I, there was more to cut from, you know, that hit the floor and, and nobody ever saw on this yeah. new record just more time spent um, on the songs themselves. You know, my wife, Alicia was more involved in the, let's say like curation process. So I I really rely on her sense of if a song has, you know, that, I don't know, whatever it is, it to it that makes you want to put it on a record. I I rely on her to, I'll go in and write, you know, at live shows, I've talked about it. Like I'm kind of like the gladiator, in the Coliseum who's like fighting it out, you know, trying to create this thing. And, you know, I get done and I, you know, I bring her my performance and she's like up in the upper balcony. She's like the Empress with like her (laughs) up and down, you know, um, tell me keep going or abandon, you know, the, the thing. So, so she was more involved on this new record. We, I felt like we had a really good, hand in glove fit with our producer, Ben Shive. 
Um, mm-hmm. Physically, but just personally, like I just became good friends with him, and he is just relentlessly creative, day in day out in the studio, and he works harder than anybody probably I, I know, just as yeah. a human being. I love his work. I've heard several things that he's produced and engineered, and they're just fantastic. I I could not have a higher opinion of of Ben Shive. So he's he brought a lot to it. You know, for Diamonds and Gold, for instance, like we were completely done with that song almost, and and we had gone a more acoustic route. Like piano was the main <laughs> thing, and we had some Glockenspiel playing that Cynthia Lee line at the beginning. We just got done with it, and we just looked at each other, and I think he said something like, it started off like him saying to me, like, is it too slow? Which is the last thing you want to ask. (laughs) (laughs) That you're almost done with, because that means if it's too slow, if it's a tempo thing, you have to re-record everything. Everything. Because everything is recorded to that click track that you set out at the beginning. So all all of your acoustic guitars, if you speed it up even like a click... You know, which is just a very small amount faster, all your guitars are off. Yep. All of your drums are off. So so he said, Is it is it too slow? And uh <laughs> like with a heavy heart. And and um I was like, Yeah, I think it's too slow. Uh but I didn't want to bring it up because I'm the artist and I'd feel bad suggesting, you know, that we we work this whole thing because, you know, I don't want to pay for it all over again. <laughs> <laughs> We're out of time. And so anyway, we spent the next 36 hours, you know, in the studio, just completely re-recording everything. And, and it just took this more electronic route because that's that's what we felt like it needed or wanted. With the gold on the ground, we heard the beautiful sound of the spark in the flame and the roar. We started, started, we sold, now chasing diamonds and gold, and so on into the night. They say we're crazy, that's fine. They say we're out of our mind. We'll tell them, tell them, all right. If the world is all we got, then all right, all right. But it's not to what you want. Just remember diamonds and gold and soul. They fight. So take it Your vocal performance on that is just excellent. Thanks. That was so funny because that was at the end of that day. He had me re-sing vocals. And Ben Chive is usually like really patient not that he wasn't patient with me but he's very like encouraging like in the vocal studio and but we got to be kind of close and and during the making of the record and so it's like 11 o'clock and we had so many late nights on this record but this was like getting to the end of the wire we're just we're already burnt out with a couple weeks ahead of us and you know i was singing in the vocal booth and trying to re-sing these parts and I would like stop after a few words because I just kind of knew like ah, that's not the right take or whatever. And he would just like uh-huh. press the button to talk in my head. And he's just like, dude, are you feeling like you're not singing great now, right now? Because you really are and you just need to get over it and you just need to sing. <laughs> like, you, like, like total, like totally just like, um, you know, p- pushing me to get through it. But yeah, that, that, that song was a definite challenge. We, we were telling some of Stephen's students last week in, in some discussion about podcasting in the class he's teaching right now, that sometimes you just have to be willing, and we were talking about podcasts, but it's true of any creative thing, I think. Sometimes you just have to be willing to look at something and say, you know what? Throw it away, do it over. Yeah. yeah. And he did say, true to his word, I mean, he said that at the beginning of the making of the record. It's like, hey, 
you know, feel free to just tell me, you know, obviously we prefer not to restart something, but if, if something if you really just don't feel it for the song and we've invested all these hours, just, you know, I'm all about the restart. So mm. yeah, that's great. It's huge. Yeah, that is huge. That's really great to have a safety net like that. What was the one song on the record that just like came together and was super easy and was no trouble at all? If there was one, there usually is. Yeah, that's a good question. I want to say Band of Gold. I that was what it. I was going to guess. <laughs> <laughs> that song just sounds so perfect. Uh, yeah, I, I just feel like that was a very smooth sailing on that one. Yeah. And Take This Slowly, too, Ben had... Ben was, I think that's Ben's favorite track, but you know, that, that was kind of his. I think he just had a really clear vision for it at the beginning. Mm-hmm. He just went with it. So. Hard songs, all of them were really hard, uh, but really fun in their own ways. Like Shadows of the Dawn, mm-hmm. very hard. Um, it wasn't until the end, like we felt like we really had something mm. with the um, kind of the, the main string hook in the chorus. That dun, 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 dun. Mm-hmm. Um, that hook actually was recorded on like a, a mandolin, and we just took a child's violin bow, uh, borrowed it from some friends, Jenny and Tyler. What up, Jenny and Tyler? Yeah, I heard them. They're awesome. So they let me borrow the man, their mandolin, and we we just bowed this mandolin with a kid's bow in the studio to make that main main hook. Huh. And uh, it was both me and Ben at the same time, like in the studio, crouched together, like playing this one very small mandolin. <laughs> we did like two people, so I would like hold the strings down, and he would like try to bow it like perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> we were like desperate to like figure this song out. So anyway, that was that was oh, a hard. Man. Yeah, the vocal hooks in that are just incredible, especially in the last chorus. It's true. Thanks, man. So what are what are some things coming up next? You said you're working on another album. I know you guys are wrapping up a tour here. Yeah, so I just started heavily going after booking in the spring. And the tentative plan right now is to, is to try to make another record over the summer. We'll see. It, it all depends when uh, everybody's schedules lines up and yeah so we might do a live record in between now and then and i don't know but uh but like i said just just writing the best songs we can we don't want to we don't want to do it unless we have the right songs yeah so we'll see but but there's also that kind of clock once you make a record feels like you're on a two-year countdown (laughs) at least until you kind of expected to come out with the next one so and you know when i was just a listener of music i always thought man two years what are you doing like in between (laughs) (laughs) making a living really yeah now that i'm on this side it's like you need every minute of those two years to to try to to make something good yeah so here's our last question do you have any anything you want to give a shout out to anything that's cool or that you're into or that you're really excited about doesn't have to be music or anything just just stuff yeah well Hmm. I'm, I am into things, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I just um, okay. So this is really lame uh, and kind of techy, but um, for you 
guitar or piano players out there uh, who gig, I just built this rig that I'm so excited about to make setup time easier at your shows. So you need to get something called a, a temple board. A temple board is basically just like, it's like a pedal board, but just with holes in it so that you can tie things down. So I have all of my like DIs or direct, direct boxes mm-hmm. tied down in Velcro to this pedal board and all of my interfaces. So we use, so we just tell venues to provide us a keyboard and we show up and we plug our computers in uh-huh. basically with the sound. So we, we have two of those tied and strapped down and like my effects pedal. So all these things like fit on this board that are tied down that you can put in the Pelican case and like fly anywhere. And it's all labeled and so beautiful. And I just want to tell everybody <laughs> uh, like on his, I just take a picture on Instagram. That's what I'll do. I'll put a picture on Instagram, and you guys can see what I'm talking about. But um, awesome. yeah, we'll link it in the show notes. But basically, all I have to say, I'm trying to like reduce re- being more efficient with setup and teardown on the road. Like, for instance, yeah, started like we're on a mission. We've like doubled everything that just this past couple weeks we've we've bought doubles of everything that we frequently take out on the road for instance like i just bought like five of these shirts i'm wearing that you see me wearing <laughs> or a version of them at old Navy that will put in our i cannot wear them off the road or like an eye mask at night that i'm wearing or like a toothbrush or whatever it is a coffee or whatever you go pot or the self-heating ones anyway i like my own coffee rig we can talk about that later but <laughs> Sounds like my kind of setup. But just getting doubles of things so that like we don't have to quote unquote pack. Like we just yeah. get back and we throw our stuff in the suitcase and it's just ready to go again. So I'm like yeah. trying to like figure out redundancies in our lives to rid us of needless decisions that we have to make over and over again. Yeah. So, cool. And that that board is like one of those things. Yeah. That's awesome. So here's a here's a question I just thought of talking about you know, kind of structures and institutions in our lives and everything else. What does it look like trying to have a real commitment to the life of the church and touring? Yeah, man, I have thought so much about that. Um, So I don't think there's like a perfect solution and everybody has to do what they think is right. And it, it, it depends on the church that you're in and, and all those things. But I would say like, if you're a touring musician, you know, you can only, your life is, especially ours, because we're doing it as a family, like what we're doing is not sustainable. Mm-hmm. So we cannot do this for a very long time. And I think our time is limited on the road. And in order to have a more laid back schedule and still do music, we have to build a following at the beginning of our careers. And so mm-hmm. you know, I just know for the next three to five years, like we just have to be on the road a lot. But for the majority of our lives, we won't be. As much, nearly as much as we are now, probably. Yeah. And so I think there's seasons to it. I, I would say if we had to sign up for this forever or for the next, you know, 30, 40 years, maybe, maybe we would choose something else to do. But, you know, our pastor has told us, I think he gets it, especially because he's in Nas- Nashville. He's like, hey, man, this is yeah. your calling. This is your living. Like, um, we want you to feel empowered, not guilty. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I do think there's something to be said for finding a way to be committed to serving, invested in, involved in your local church, um, even if you're not there on Sunday mornings during the fall. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's getting involved in a community group that you are going to be home for. Maybe it's joining a church that 
meets on Sunday nights or has an evening service. So you can use Sunday as a travel day to get back. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's different ways, but I think your, your pastors have to be cool with it. I actually asked John Piper the same question. Hmm. What? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we were playing an event. Uh, look at the book. I stood in line afterwards because I was curious about this same question. I think he said something like, it seems like you have an itinerant call on your life to this. Uh, you're an itinerant musician. Playing. You know, it's interesting because his dad was a traveling evangelist mm-hmm. um, who would be gone months at a time, I think. Mm-hmm. And so I thought it'd be interesting to ask him, you know, what he, what he thinks about that. So, you know, he said, as long as you have somewhere to call home, mm. you know, it can be out in the road as much as you want. So anyway, that, that, nobody has to hear me and take it as like gospel. Uh, <laughs> but that's kind of where we've landed for now. Yeah. Yeah, don't don't worry. We're two guys who talk into microphones biweekly, so we're we're fully familiar with not being taken as gospel, not asking anybody for that. <laughs> so, well, th- this has been really awesome. We we are really honored to have you come talk with us about some of the issues that we've been thinking about and discussing, and how they relate to your life. And it's it's really cool. Thanks, man. And Stephen, thank you too. I mean. People listening probably don't know, but I called Stephen like just after we released our first record a few years ago for advice. You know, same questions kind of, and and you're really willing and eager to just be a resource and helping us and pointing us to different places and artists to look to. So just wanted to say over the air, you know, really appreciate you you taking that call because we were just random musicians at that point. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. It's uh. It's what I love to do. So I'm I'm just super glad that uh, y'all are doing your thing now and that we get more awesome music out of it. <laughs> Done. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Awesome. Thanks again so much, man. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Thank you, guys. Have cool. a good one. You too. Yeah. The music on this episode was all from Ghost of a King by the Grey Havens. Yes. It- <laughs> yeah, it was. We used it by permission. Please don't use it without permission. Please, you do have our permission and encouragement to go buy Ghost go of the buy King it. and listen to it's all fantastic. of it. It's fantastic. Shadows of the Dawn is amazing. It really is. And seriously, maybe maybe sometime you'll get to see a four-year-old and a two-year-old dance like crazy to Diamonds, Diamonds and, gold. and Gold. Thanks to Andrew Fallows, Jeremy W. Sherman, and Kurt Klassen for sponsoring the show this month. We really appreciate it. We do. It's super great. Also, um, if you'd like to sponsor the show, go to patreon.com slash winning slowly or cash.me slash dollar sign winning slowly. Thanks for all you do to help us out. 10% of what we do get goes right back to the Internet Archive. As always, we appreciate anything you do to tell other people about Winning Slowly, from sharing it with some friends, to posting it on social media, to reviewing us in iTunes or whatever podcast app directory you use. If you have any thoughts on the Grey Havens or other episodes that we've done, please feel free to contact us on Twitter at Winning Slowly, on Facebook, or email hello at winningslowly.org. And as always, thanks for listening. <laughs>